This is the Friday, December 9, 2022 installment of the Market Analysis segment from Market to Market. USDA issued a supply and demand report on Friday, making few changes to corn export stocks and acres for the week. The nearby wheat contract dropped another 27 cents, while the March corn contract fell 2 cents. Soaring meal and export sales combined to boost the soy complex. The January soybean contract added 45 cents, while January meal improved 47.50 or 11 percent. March cotton, well, that shrank by 225 per hundredweight. Over in the dairy parlor, January Class 3 milk futures weakened 77 cents. The livestock market was mixed as February cattle lost 33 cents. January feeders put on $1.48. And the February lean hog contract cut 6.43. In the currency markets, U.S. dollar index added 20 ticks. January crude oil plummeted 8.56, or nearly 11% per barrel. Comex gold gained a dime per ounce, and the Goldman Sachs commodity index was off more than 38 points to finish at 5.76.95. Joining us now is regular market analyst Naomi Bloom. Hello. Hi, Paul. You're a brave soul, I have to tell you that. Uh, Weather-wise, you know, this is, it gets crazy this time of year. But moisture is a part of this system, and it's coming to air. You were in South Dakota. What are South Dakotans saying right now about this wheat crop? Um, well, as far as the wheat goes, everything needs just more moisture, period, no matter where you are throughout the Midwest or the Southern Plains. And so that continues to be a theme. We've got the winter wheat crop rated pretty much the poorest in history. It's so dry. And I think soon the market's going to realize that and come back and trade reality. This recent sell-off that we had was just bullying by the funds and just selling it short. Right now we're at fair value. The U.S. is competitive against the world. And with the USDA report, they didn't really make any changes to U.S. production numbers overall. And the global numbers, not a lot of changes there either. So going forward, I'm thinking wheat has a recovery bounce here our export market is actually on target for USDA projections as far as what our export inspections have been doing. So it's not that it's a big bearish story all of a sudden. It's just that the funds have come in and sold it off. Seasonally, wheat futures do have a tendency to start to work higher now into the new year. You know Sue Martin, right? Sue sat in that chair last week and said, if you haven't sold yet on wheat, why? Why, why sell now? Wait, because you've missed your boat. Are you in that same boat? Uh, there will be a recovery bounce here for the wheat story. And the global wheat numbers, we had Argentina with lower crop. Uh, the Canadian crop is still lower than normal, um, but the Russian crop is what's a little bit larger. And so the USDA accounted for that. We're still in a situation where it's not that every single country right now has perfect production. There's hiccups along the way. And then we'll have to start to think about the northern hemisphere and production there soon enough. All right, I'm going to make you stick your neck out here. What are some ranges on uh, wheat as a whole? Um, let's gaze, say three months. What are we looking at for a range? Well, I think very much so we'll see a recovery bounce back to the $8 area. That would be just a simple 50% retracement from the recent move that we've had. So I'm looking for that to happen. And then it'll be just trading sideways a little bit between $8, $8.50 until we get a better handle on what's happening in the world. What did USDA say in the report? in your eyes on Friday about the corn market? Um, I, not any big surprises because we knew that corn exports had been lagging. 
We've been talking about it for two months, so the USDA acknowledged that today. And that's the only reason that the ending stocks grew a little bit. But, you know, we're still dealing with tight carryout, 1.2 billion bushels. I don't recall a year, you know, where we're starting a year that, with that kind of a tight carryout. I think you're going to start to see the corn exports pick up in terms of more countries will be coming on board. It's not that we're, you know, totally out of whack with the world production numbers or world prices. It's just that the end users are only buying as they need. I can understand that. And so the dollar has been coming back recently, settling down a little bit. That should help with our corn exports also. And what China has been buying from Brazil is only making up for what they used to buy from Ukraine. So I don't feel like we have a sad story there. I think that the corn market is still a friendly story overall. I feel like that market's going to have the ability to work higher. And actually, if you look at March corn futures, 15 out of 15 years, the market works higher from this December USDA report into January. And the average rally has been about 47 cents over the past 15 years. So I'm very much still optimistic. I think that the corn price right now is fair valued, maybe a little undervalued, and needs to come up a little bit. There was a story this week that caught your attention that you weren't necessarily thrilled about, and it, and it spilled out directly to the corn market, the Wall Street Journal, uh, on the Fed's actions. Do you think corn was the biggest impact on that headline? Well, I think, so the headline was that the one Wall Street Journal analyst and writer was saying that the interest rates are going to continue to work higher and even higher than what the Feds had been saying, closer to 5%. So that headline sank crude oil. That headline made corn prices work a little bit lower just on the thought of, you know, the Fed is going to throw everything at this to try to make demand not increase. And I can understand that, but the reality is that we still have tight supplies and you can't fix that unless Mother Nature fixes it. So I'm, again, optimistic going forward, but the higher interest rate, we'll come back to that because uh, that is going to be a factor for the latter part of the year. But right now, the market, I think, is really due for a recovery bounce. You've mentioned the tight supplies a couple of times. I also seem to remember you saying not too long ago there were like six or eight factors. Nine. Nine. And, <laughs> and, and you're making tight supplies sound like five of these nine right now for corn. Yeah. It's, it, we have ethanol demand that's actually staying strong overall. It really is. Our feed numbers are going to be there. It's not like it's going to be a sad story here in, in America. I mean, for Pete's sake, in, in southwest Missouri, they are paying still over $8 to try to find any corn. They are so desperate to find it. The Western Plains, of course, that is going to continue to be a friendly story just because of how little production they had. So the grain needs to still go west. The basis is going to take up and make that. But we're going to have to see a competition for acres yet this spring. Because those nine grain and oilseed commodities still in this country have tight supplies. So I'm, again, I'm optimistic for prices as we head into first quarter, starting second quarter. And then the tune might change a little bit, but it's really dependent on Mother Nature. I'm going to hold on the acreage debate question, maybe till Market Plus, and also until 2023. But we know it's coming. So I guess I'll ask about corn. Uh, as you look to that December contract, uh, do you see that trading in a range that we've been used to in the next three months, six months? Do you see it going higher? What pushes that range and where? It, what is that range in corn? Yeah, so for the short term, what's going to happen for that DS23 contract is that it's going to be um, dealing with spread trading. I feel like you're going to, that's how people are participating with mm -hmm. corn right now, either buying July, selling December, 
or some people are buying December 23, selling December 24, just doing the spread trading. And so when there's not a lot of dynamic market movement, spread trading is sometimes what takes over. Going forward, I feel like that December 23 contract has the ability to work higher. Again, it needs to make sure that it's going to be have the acres that it needs. The input costs are still overall higher, and farmers are going to need incentive to want to price that mark, that crop, and, and get it in the ground next year. So I feel like the new crop prices have the ability to go to 650 um, higher only if the weather turns sour in South America. Um, but again, my bias is that the market is still going to be able to work a little bit higher here into the first quarter. That spread trading is also going on in soybeans, right? Oh, soybeans, soybean meal, soybean oil, right? And that was a big factor uh, for the markets. And with soybeans, you know, the USDA, no changes for the U.S. numbers. And I think that was okay and that was smart. But the surprise was that they made no changes to the Argentina production in spite of the horrible drought that's happening down there. The USDA is doing their jam where they just kick the can down the road for one more month. Can't say I blame them. And it's a little early in the season. But right now, only 11% of the soybean crop in Argentina is rated as good to excellent because of that drought. And so for the world scene, we're pricing in record production. It's priced into the market right now. So if we see weather issues continue in Argentina, if something start and suddenly isn't perfect in Brazil, you're going to see the soybean market work higher. This meal, though, is what drives the complex higher as a whole. Who wants meal so bad? Well, demand is there, I think, from the feed standpoint. We still have, you know, plenty of hogs right now. We have the um, poultry producers trying to, you know, reestablish things, and the demand is there. And I think what you're also going to see is our export demand pick up because of the drought in Argentina. As you know, Argentina is the world's largest soybean meal exporter and soybean oil exporter, and they're not able to do that as much as they'd like. So I think you're going to see our soybean meal market, um, export market pick up. Do you see meal having much more legs to the rally, or are we just getting started here? I think it's going to be kind of quiet and cautious for just a little bit and going back into the spread trading between meal and oil, and there's some opportunity there for traders um, in the short term, and then waiting to see about the weather in South America. All right, we've talked about the big three. I want to get your take on what do you think is going to be big in 23. Glenn asked us via Twitter, thank you, Glenn, for this question, which is, what's the greatest opportunity we have today that we should be capitalizing on for 2023? So the opportunity is actually, I think, going to be coming within a month to two months, and that's going to be pricing your new crop and being aggressive on it. The mentality of store your grain and ignore is not going to work for this next year. So when we have a push higher into the new year, producers need to use that to market for their new crop, corn and beans both, be aggressive on your forward contracting more than probably you've been in years past because this higher interest rate thing is gonna come in and haunt us, I think for the latter part of 23. And if we end up having wonderful weather in the United States this summer, futures prices are gonna start to plummet lower. So that's your opportunity is forward contracting, get, make, make sure that you're understanding different put option strategies as we go forward again and protect that value. Maybe even think about going out to 24. So it's short term bullish, longer term defensive.
No more store and ignore. Wrote that one down too. Yes. Okay, uh, another question. This one's about dairy, and this one came from Adam in Wisconsin. And then Adam asked you on Twitter, Naomi, this isn't the same dairy industry of 10 years ago. It seems that the margins get squeezed too much. The sellouts, retirements, and lack of expansion will put a cap on output. With the recent up moves in soybean meal and the drop in class three, where is the natural floor? In dairy prices. Um, I agree with the things that uh, he said as far as we're not going to probably see a lot of dairy expansion anymore just because, you know, trying to get rid of manure is an issue and making sure you can spread it on fields and then the retirement thing, all of that, those are factors. Um, we have had recent production increases for dairy on the last four USDA reports for milk production. I think part of that was because um, feed was available in like Wisconsin. We had a good growing season and you're not going to see the big increases in production. I totally agree with that. And our dairy exports are staying strong. So I think we're going to be at a point maybe of equilibrium, and we're there right now. Right now, $19 is big support for the dairy market. And I would be surprised if things fell below that. Uh, it would take uh, demand destruction, um, something of that magnitude. So I would say right now, $19 is a good floor. You would think $18 below that also, but with feed prices overall still high dairy and milk prices should stay firm as well. Cattle lost this week. Uh, the box story is kind of a tough one there. Why? I don't know what happened there. It was just very dynamic. It was almost like it was trying to decide was the holiday demand met? Was it not met? Where was the demand flow? And so that was a very volatile week for the box beef and for the, the cash market that way. So I think when you look at the February contract, we've got resistance at 157, supports at 153. The beef cattle exports are phenomenal, second best ever, and the USDA said that they felt that that's going to increase and continue, especially to Asia. So that is a friendly story that way, and of course we know we have low supplies. It's just a question about demand here in the United States going forward. As long as people have jobs, I think that demand stays strong. I feel like the, the cattle market continues to be a supportive story. I don't know that we have a reason right now to just take off and rally higher because we know there's less animals coming. We know that there's less animals available for the new year. But again, we have to just wait and see where the demand actually ends up being. Same story in feeder market? Yeah, the feeder market has actually been trending a little bit higher. It goes two steps forward, one step back, and then two steps forward again. So with the um, demand, I think that is going to be there and the Placement numbers that have been low, I feel like the feeder story is going to continue to slowly work a little bit higher. And I think if there was a way that you could make sure you had feed and the ability to, uh, you know, just get into that, I would, I would do it. I feel like the complex is going to continue to be supportive going forward. We talked a little bit about the meal side in this hog market, but hogs this week... Um, it's a heck of a loss. That's a 7% loss. Yeah, so we had cancellations on our export sales this week, and that really weighed on the market. And actually, our exports are also uh, below our five-year average. They're the worst that they've been since 2018, and U.S. production is um, kind of at a higher level. So it makes sense to me that we saw that pullback, um, but we are heading into winter, and that's usually when we start to see some sort of herd health issue occur, um, PERS, that kind of a thing. So 
I think the setback might be a little bit more because the demand, again, has been uh, tapered off. But we'll see what winter does with production. How long do you see that pullback then? Is that oh, a three-month story, a no, six-month story? maybe like another week or two because there's anytime it has a pullback, the buyers are happy to step in. Um, I don't think it's a negative story at all by any means. It's just it's a big range-bound market. Now we're just going to go back down to the lower end. All right. Naomi, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. It's Naomi Bloom. And we are going to put a pause on this analysis, and we're going to continue our discussion about the markets. We have lots of great questions from you right here. We'll do that in our Market Plus segment. You can find that on our website of markettomarket.org. We have it in both podcast and on YouTube. So podcast form audio, YouTube video if you want. All of these resources are free. And a reminder, the email machine is still on for you. We'll take your feedback, story ideas, and general commentary at the inbox of market-to-market at iowapbs.org. Next week, we look at the changes in focus for overseas shipping from major ports to the Great Lakes region. Thank you so very much for watching. Have a great week.